This morning's sermon will involve an exercise of imagination beyond what we normally require. I'm going to refer a few times to a painting, a painting by the Russian artist Andrei Rublev. It's this famous painting of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And usually when you're referring to a painting, it's good to have the painting, a representation of it there. We don't have a representation of it this morning. Due to an oversight on my part, it didn't get to the slides. So you'll have to take my word for it, and you'll have to kind of picture as best you can. But in this famous painting, which should have been pictured here this morning, you and I, the viewer, are invited to the table. In Rublev's painting, there are three figures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, sitting around a table, and there's a spot left for you at that fourth place around the table. A number of cues in the painting are intended to create this sense of, of being drawn in and up, finding a place at table with the triune God. This truth that, that those in Christ putting their faith in Jesus are sat down at table with the Most High God, the Creator of all things, is something almost too wonderful to imagine. But this is a fundamental truth of the gospel that you and I, the lost, the least sinful and broken, have a place through Jesus where we do not belong on our own with God. For me, Rublev's image has become, this year even, a powerful tool, a reminder of the reality of God's embrace, His acceptance, His favor. The grace that is mine, that's ours in Jesus. I desperately need tools and reminders. Remembrances of God's embrace, His favor, His welcome. Today, the church calendar itself provides us with another such reminder. At the end of the Christmas season, today is Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday, January 6th, moved to today. It's a reminder, a celebration of the reality that in Jesus, the light of the world has dawned and is now shining for all to see, shining forth in glory, providing warmth and comfort, drawing us in. To put it in terms of the painting, in terms of our place at the table, today's a reminder that more than tolerating us sat down with him, even more than favorably welcoming and perhaps making space for us, God in Christ is actively shining forth, seeking us out, that we might find our place with him more fully perhaps for the very first time. You'll have noticed this theme of light and its dawning in our scripture readings this morning. In our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, there's this pointing forward, this anticipation of the light. Lift up your eyes, arise, shine. In our gospel reading, the Magi, traditionally described as three wise men, see a literal light, this extraordinary star and encounter the true light in the person of Jesus. 
This is not so much an endorsement of astrology, a suspect way to decide what's going on in the world, as it is as a picture of God's intention to shine forth, to make himself known and extend that invitation. In both passages, the light is dawning, the light is breaking into the darkness, into human lives. How might we respond to the light? What might our reaction be to the searching, active, gracious light of the world? This morning, I'd like for us to consider the response of the Magi themselves in their following of the star and in their response to Christ, the light. Their response, their posture, as we shall see, is characterized by three qualities, by attentiveness, by humility, and openness. In these qualities, uh, attentiveness, humility, openness, we see what it is to respond well, appropriately, to Christ, the light of the world. As we jump in, let's pause to pray. Gracious and almighty God, we praise you as the light of the world, And we praise you this morning for your gifts, the gift of your word and the gift of your Holy Spirit. We ask now that your spirit, the same spirit that inspired Matthew to remember and record these words, would now work in and among us, that we might more fully become your own and we might see you, Jesus, as the light of the world, perhaps as never before. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So first, the posture of the Magi, receiving, following after the light, is characterized by attentiveness. It was right there in our Old Testament passage. Lift up your eyes. Look about you. The light has come. If you're in a pitch black room where there is no light, you might as well have your eyes closed. It makes no difference. But in a room in which the light has been shed, lift up your eyes, open your eyes. In Matthew's story, the the Magi perceive this star in the sky. They pay attention to what is going on in their world. Their gaze is up, we might say, expectant and open. They notice what God is doing in creation. Part of responding well to the reality we celebrate in Epiphany, that the light of the world has come, is simply being attentive. Being attentive to the way that light today still is shining forth on display. On display in God's Word, on display by His Spirit in community, on display in God's creation. Attentive to what God has done and is doing in the world revealing his glory and goodness. Geneticist Francis Collins, formerly the head of the Human Genome Project, once described how he was fully and finally convicted of the truth of the Christian faith through an encounter on a hike with this frozen waterfall. Something of the icy spires, their beauty, the way three spires mingled together as one unit, captured his mind and heart with the beauty, the truth of the triune God. He he heard, he felt that invitation to the table. Collins describes it as this remarkable moment, life-changing. 
but I've been on hikes. It's also easy to imagine him simply walking by, untouched, unmoved, with his eyes on his feet as he's making sure he doesn't trip or fall. Collins tells this story, this moment, as the culmination of searching, desiring, wrestling for the truth. I think that suggests that Collins' heart and mind were marked in some way by an attentiveness, by an openness to the thought of meeting God, of knowing the truth, anticipating, looking for the light. Notice in our reading that the, the wise man's attentiveness is not this fleeting thing. It's this marked, long-lasting, purposeful commitment. They've responded to what they've seen, and they travel at great cost, with great risk, a long, long way. Verse 9 suggests that after this star first appeared, the Magi have been without a sign for quite some time. But in response to what they first saw, they've journeyed this distance, this dogged and attentive pursuit. T.S. Eliot, in his poem, The Journey of the Magi, imagines one of these travelers giving voice to their journey and the difficulty of it. He writes, a cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of year for a journey and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp the very dead of winter. Perhaps at the start of this new year, 2020, you would identify in some way with that sense of the journey, a deep and difficult way, a hard journey. Perhaps as you anticipate the year ahead, it's not that you're filled with hope, you're filled with anticipation. There's dread and uncertainty questions, anxieties, and difficulty. Today is a reminder that even in such a place, we stand on the conviction that the light has come, and that difficult as it may be in every situation to see that light, to apprehend it, to feel its warmth and glow, the light has come. And there's a call in the example of the Magi to maintain this posture of attentiveness, to work and live into the conviction that the light has come, that though it feels so dark, though it feels so cold, the light has come. With the star's reappearance, Matthew in verse 10 writes that the Magi rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You can see there how bound up with the search they were, how eagerly they were seeking out signs and news of God's light. There's this bursting forth in rejoicing. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning has famously written, Earth is crammed with heaven. Every common bush a fire with God. It's this beautiful sentiment. It's a quote you might see on coffee mugs and refrigerator magnets. But the poem from which that quote comes suggests that not everyone sees. Not everyone is attentive. 
There are others who, Browning writes, daub their natural faces unaware and lead vulgar days, ignorant of the light, who lack attentiveness. We could point to the reasons for inattentiveness by talking about our our post-enlightenment age, the age of disenchantment. We no longer believe in the transcendent. We could talk about distraction, our distracted lives, where so much of our attention is spread thin. But I wonder if we may be inattentive to the light of God, to Christ, simply because we look in the wrong places. Notice that the light comes not exactly where the Magi expected. Matthew describes them as first stopping in at Jerusalem, the seat of power where you would expect the ruler to be. And these are wealthy people, learned people, people at home in the courts of the world. This is where they would have expected the light to be found the king of the Jews. But their encounter with the true light takes place not on the grander stage, but in out-of-the-way, peripheral Bethlehem. This village of no more than three or four hundred. Verse 6 of our reading highlights Bethlehem with this prophecy from the book of Micah, precisely because it's not the kind of place you would expect to encounter the light, the king. This year, there will be all kinds of significant, momentous events. The Olympics in Tokyo, 2020. A presidential election. I don't know if you knew that was coming. (laughs) Events that will draw all eyes, much attention. But that the Magi meet the light of the world, not in Jerusalem, but in Bethlehem, is a reminder that the light of God is often encountered in the hidden and out of the way in ordinary places, in the arena of our homes and neighborhoods, in the humble places within our city, in the everydayness of our relationships and tasks. It's in these places, these times, that attentiveness to Christ's coming and presence might best be rewarded, where we might most clearly see and know God's gracious drawing us to himself, his shining forth. From the star's appearance then to the words from Scripture, directing them to Bethlehem and ultimately to their encounter with Christ, the Magi model this attentiveness. Might our response to the truth of Epiphany, that the light has come in 2020, be marked by the same attentiveness, the same diligent care and attention, even in the the out-of-the-way and ordinary places of our lives? Beyond attentiveness, the posture of the Magi is also marked by humility. It takes humility to give up Jerusalem and go to Bethlehem. And this humility is seen explicitly in our reading, in the Magi's declaration in verse 2 that they're here to worship, and in verse 11, the fulfillment of that declaration. In verse 11, we see that they fall down, they worship him. The word in both verse 2 and verse 11 is used throughout the New Testament. And when it is, the object is always something thought to be divine, to be a little higher than human. 
In Acts 10, 25, Peter has to stop people from worshiping, declaring, I'm just a human being like you. The word suggests this action of falling down, of kissing someone's feet, a humble posture. These wise ones, these wealthy world travelers lay flat before a child, before a toddler, and do worship. In response to the light, dawning the appropriate posture for them involves getting on their knees. A willingness to get low as the light rises. Epiphany, the beginning of the new year, presents an opportunity to get low, we might say. To humble ourselves in adoration and worship. As we seek to attend to the light of God, the light that has come, humility is the proper posture. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount will say, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who acknowledge their lowly estate, who acknowledge their need for the dawning of God's light. The image of the Trinity, our spot at the table, invites us to see ourselves as those in need. To acknowledge the the belonging, the favor, the grace that we require. You do not earn a place at that table, in that company. You accept an invitation. You accept the favor, the grace of God. That takes humility. To accept Jesus as the light of the world involves some recognition that we are in the dark, in need lacking, and that he has what we require. The Jesus prayer is this ancient one-line prayer. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Many of you will be familiar with it. Might I commend it to you and to your use at the start of this year? Perhaps as you wake up in the morning, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As you encounter a situation of difficulty, of trouble in your day, quickly, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. As you're confronted with the disorder of your own heart, your own life, the sin, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner as an expression of humility, an expression, an acknowledgement of the poverty of our lives, of our need for the light, our need for God's grace and favor that we might be found at that table. So attentiveness and humility. And the Magi's posture is also finally marked by openness. They attentively seek the light. They humbly adore the child. And they open their treasures. They give freely. They give the most important, the most precious, the most treasured things. Those things kept under lock and key. They open those up. These are the first fruits of Isaiah's words in chapter 60. They're the beginning of what the book of Revelation points to when it describes the wealth of the nations brought to Jesus, the first of creation's bounty 
being given over to him who is the light of the world. What's under lock and key in your life? What is most precious and valuable to you? Is it your time? Your sense of freedom or autonomy? Is it your family, your children? Is it your money? All these might be the equivalent treasures to what the Magi open up and give over. And the presents provided by them were, were gifts that you would give to a king and offer to a god. They were worthy of who Jesus would one day claim to be. And they signaled the high regard, the value the Magi had for this child, the light. Just as their attentiveness was signaled in their dogged commitment, that long-suffering journey, so is their regard for Jesus on display in the value of what they give freely, openly. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12 suggests that our whole bodies, our lives, ourselves are the appropriate thing, the thing worthy of giving over. That we might give over everything openly, all that we are, all that we have, responding to the light of the world. The paraphrase of Paul's writing on the front of your service sheet gets at the holistic nature of what this means. Offer your life as it is lived here and now. Not at some later date, not some idealized version, but your life as it is, in its fullness, the whole of your life as an offering. Worship as something that's not done on Sunday alone, but that encompasses all of life, life beyond. Embracing with all that we are God's purposes and plans in every facet. Allowing the light to penetrate every nook and cranny. I was chatting with someone yesterday and was, oh, did you make a New Year's resolution? I'm like, oh, no, I know I don't make resolutions. And there's something perhaps unsophisticated. The moment of resolution seems to have passed us by in some way. But the beginning of the year is this time of reflection. It provides an opportunity to consider where we've been and where we are going. So perhaps as part of that reflection at the start of a new year, we might consider the various arenas of our lives and the areas that we might yet still need or desire to open ourselves up, to give over as an offering to the Lord. How we might give over our speech, what we talk about, the ways that we speak. That we might open up our free time, what we do with our freedom, our unencumbered time. How we might offer up our relationships, our media consumption, our bodies our finances, in fullness to the Lord as an expression of adoration. That feels like a heavy thing, perhaps, to offer up every moment of our time, every stitch of our belongings, our hopes and aspirations for the future. Martin Luther once wrote that the human person is not ably by nature, to want God to be God. No, we want ourselves to be God, and we do not want God to be God. 
There's something very true about that. The openness in adoration to Jesus that the Magi exemplify, it's not natural. There is in you, in me, this desire to reign, to rule, to close ourselves off, to grasp and cling. As inviting as the picture of life with God sat down at table with him is, there is in you and in me the posture of Herod. The posture that in contrast to the Magi does not come into or receive the light, that is closed off, that resists and wars against the light. Elsewhere in Romans, the Apostle Paul will speak of it as enmity with God. That we stand in opposition in some way. Herod is this remarkable figure. At the time of Jesus coming, this story, he would have been 70 some odd years old. And by manipulation, by violence, by skill, he had held on to his tenuous reign until this point having murdered some of his own children, seeing them as rivals. Perhaps at the start of this year, as horrific as that picture is, you are in touch with the Herod in you. The posture that shrinks back from the thought of the light, that sees Jesus, feels that invitation as a threat, as a rival, as something to be opposed. Perhaps the description of this more open, attentive, humble life is even in some way attractive to you, but you just know the inward bent, the Herod posture is too strong. The Magi name, the one they come to see, is the King of the Jews. And that disturbs Herod. The one in whom the light of the glory of God is dawned is this rival king. But the next time we see that name used of Jesus, the child will be hanging from a tree. Even here at Jesus' birth, the specter of the cross is present. And there is something terrible about that, but also wonderful. Because it is through the cross, through Jesus' death, that the posture of Herod and the power of darkness in us is broken. Because of what he has accomplished at the cross, we no longer need be governed by fear no longer trapped by a need to be on the throne of our own lives. Of course we still struggle. There are times, there are times in the coming year when you and I will shrink from the light, when we'll long to hide in the shadows. But the posture of Herod, because of what Jesus has done, no longer rules in our hearts. In this passage, Matthew starts out referring to Herod as the king. Verses 2, 3, and 9, Herod is mentioned as the king. But after verse 11, after the wise men meet Jesus and lay themselves out in worship before this child, never again in the gospel 
is Herod named as king. Herod loses the throne in Christ. There is this new king. There is this new light for all creation. There's a new king in our hearts. And because the light has dawned and shone so brightly on the cross, we can say as we do at the close of every service, go in peace, no longer at enmity with God. Sit at the table to love and serve the Lord. For the light has dawned. Epiphany Sunday, January 2020, a new year, a new decade. And we are free today, because of the cross, to take on the posture of these wise ones. We are free to respond with attentiveness, with humility, with openness and adoration of him who is worthy. To respond to God's active and gracious seeking out embrace of us. To take our place at the table. So let us do so in the year ahead. And just as the Magi, it says, return to their country by another route, let us be changed by Christ the light, and live another kind of way. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the light that brings clarity, that brings comfort and warmth, that pushes back the darkness of our lives, the darkness of sadness and fear, of guilt and shame. I know there are those of us here this morning for whom that light is so very difficult to see. I pray especially for those among us in that situation that in your mercy, by your grace, by your Holy Spirit, oh God, even just a little bit, shed your light, shine forth. Pray for spe specifically for those perhaps struggling with mental health, some kind of anxiety or depression. Jesus, would you even today, even now, just bring a little more of your light, your glory, your goodness? Come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit. And for each of us, O oh Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of being in Christ, brought to the table with you. Not tolerated, accepted, but welcomed extravagantly with enthusiasm, sought after as a guest of the Most High God. And would we at the start of this year be firmly planted, firmly rooted in that truth, you do this work among us. In your name we pray. Amen.